Amen. Right, so up to uh, part two of Matthew chapter 24. And um, last week we we looked up to verse uh, 31. So we're going to look from verse 32 in a second. But last week uh, we we saw a clear sort of chronological list of events which lined up with Revelation chapter 6. We saw um, the Antichrist going forth to conquer, then war, famine, and a quarter of the earth dying of illness war, earthquakes in diverse places, which is strange places, all these things that cause a call to the earth to, to die. And look, for those of you that weren't here, basically this chapter, Matthew chapter 24, is just this great, very clear chapter in the Bible about what's going to happen at the end of the world and what we're going to see, you know, going on, you know, at the end of the world as we know it and uh, many, many preceding events. And, and you know, the, as we get closer to the end, Wow, doesn't it just seem seem not far off, doesn't it? And we, we compared it last week with the book of Revelation and um, the book of Revelation just clearly going through these things. And, and we know we're going to get to this point, as we know from the book of Revelation, when we're going to have this sort of one world government. Doesn't seem like a stretch of the imagination now, does it? We're going we're gonna to be at a point where there's going to be a cashless society doesn't seem like a long way off now does it and there's going to be this sort of beast system you know this antichrist run system with this world leader uh, where you won't be able to buy or sell without a mark in your hand or in your forehead again uh, you can imagine people many centuries ago wondering how on earth is that going to work I don't think many people are wondering anymore are they and well of course not because everything in the bible is 100% true we're going to look at that in a minute but we, we, uh, we looked last week at all of this, how here in Matthew 24, Jesus then went into more detail about what's to happen in between what's known as the fifth and sixth seal, between the mass martyrdom starting and then Christ's return. And you have to turn there, but with Revelation 6, 11 saying, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Okay, so we saw this little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Um, and, and this is referred to as a great tribulation. And, and with Revelation 13 giving us more insight into this period, we looked at that as well. We saw how the gospel is to go out once more to all the world before, you know, this final confirmation that we're in those uh, times does eventually come. Matthew 24, 14 saying, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come and it's it's when for me we see the image of the beast in Jerusalem uh, and maybe you know it says a holy place maybe that's Jerusalem maybe that's where the temple was maybe they have a new temple there I'm not sure but it is this image isn't it that, that people it seems will need to worship to basically be a part of society really isn't it and to be able to trade, to be able to buy and sell, and to not end up getting hunted down, it looks like as well. Verse 15 says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. And, and then it's time to flee, because you're going to be hunted like dogs. If you're a Christian and you're saved, and you know, you're in one of these areas, obviously in Judea, it's talking about here, and I think we're going to see that in many places in the world. There will then be great deception. We saw people claiming that Christ has come. But, but when he does come, it will be as clear as lightning lighting up the whole sky. As clear as lightning from the east and to the west, that will be Jesus Christ coming. There won't be any doubt. You won't be having to be kind of told about it. And it's a good thing to, to, rem to remind us of, because look, we don't know. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know if it's coming in our lifetimes. We don't know if it's maybe going to be in our kids' lifetimes. We don't really know. So it's something that you need to keep that's, a, that's an important thing, isn't it? That we're going to know that as, as lightning from the east to the west, as, because they're going to try and deceive, they, you know, try and con people. Verse 29 says, immediately after, after the tribulation of those days, and we explained last week how, how clearly there's a, two separate things. There's a tribulation, which believers will have to go through, and then there's a wrath of God, which if you're saved, you're going to get raptured before the wrath is then cast out upon the people left on this earth. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. That's when Jesus Christ returns and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn then they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds 
of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. No, that's not the Jews or what people like to call the Jews, a load of Christ-rejecting, satanic, false religious worshippers of some sort of commandments of men, the Babylonian Talmud, or, or if they even bother with any of that. No, this is talking about the saved, the elect of the saved. That's the rapture. We looked at how it lines up with, with 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15 to 52, among other places, Revelation chapter 7. We looked at that last week, and then we stopped there. But the, ca the chapter then continues with verse 32, where we are, where it says this, so he said all of that, he's explained all of that, he's given this, you know, this kind of order of events, and he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. And I'd like to pray before we continue uh, with the second half of this chapter. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this just great, powerful chapter of the Bible, a chapter which has confused, sadly, many due to false doctrine. Help me to just preach this in a non-confusing way. Help me to preach this clearly and accurately, Lord, and help me to preach it boldly as well. Help everyone here to have attentive ears. Help them all to just be able to pay attention to what your word has to say. Um, just, just help the room to be edified, Lord. Help everyone here to just, to just you know, grow in strength and faith and learn from your word and just take away what you'd want them to take away from today in Jesus name we pray all of this amen, amen. so so what's this parable of the fig tree that there are signs from the fig tree that summer is coming okay it's a pretty obvious parable here the, the branch is tender or soft the leaves are coming out and you know that therefore um, summer is nigh and all of these things that we looked at last week are signs that we're nearly there aren't they okay so we're looking at all these different signs that we're we're getting to this point of basically Christ's second coming. And, and it made me think of how destructive the pre-trib position is. So again, if you're sitting here, what's, what's he talking about, the pre-trib? So there, there are, sadly, there's a, a lot of deception out in the world about many things when it comes to the Bible. Okay, you know, there's deception about whether the Bible, you know, is, is inspired, whether it's preserved. There's deception about what different parts say. There's deception about, obviously, salvation. And there's deception about what's going to happen in the end times. And one of the big deceptions out there, which has been propagated, by Hollywood movies and other things is that suddenly a lot of believers are just going to vanish. That suddenly, that, 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 you know, before any of this happens, it could even happen right now. We could just suddenly disappear and everyone that's saved will just suddenly end up in heaven because he could come at any time. And this is what these people believe. However, he's just given us this list and then told us about the signs and when you, when you shall see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Okay, and the sign is, is that obviously like a tree, you can see signs that summer's coming by what's going on with the tree. He said with the fig tree here, the branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. Forth leaves, you know that summer is nine. This pre-trib position is so destructive because when all of this build-up is happening, it should, the idea is it should spur Christians on to do what? To go and hide off in a cave somewhere? No, to preach the gospel. Okay, to go out and preach the gospel more, say, okay, we're getting to that time. Let's preach the gospel. Let's get people saved. Really, because in a way, it gives strength to you preaching the gospel when you can just clearly show from the Bible, look, this is all happening as the Bible says. You're about, you're about to get whooped by God. The wrath is going to come down. Don't take them out. All these things, get saved, get saved. Preach the gospel. It should back all that up. However, the pre-tribbers will be sitting on their hands, really bemoaning the world and just saying, even so come Lord Jesus, because they love that one, don't they? Let's be going, even so come, man, the world is just tough right now. You know, and, they, and what are they really going to be doing? They're just, you know, because they're not thinking, right, we're going to get on with things. And ultimately, it just kind of, it creates apathetic Christians, doesn't it? People that are just sitting there, well, you know, probably going to get raptured at some point. You know, leave that to the kind of, you know, the, the, the tribulation saints. Leave that to the Jews. <laughs> they can do all that. That's so nuts, isn't it? It's so bizarre. But the signs should, should, sh what should happen is the signs that we're seeing should be getting preached loud and clear from pulpits across this nation, shouldn't they? In fact, right now, they should be preaching loud and clear. Look, you know, you can see this coming, can't you? You can see we're not a, a long way off. That should be getting preached loud and clear. And people should be thinking, yeah, I need to get my family saved. I need to get, you know, this might be the last chance I have with uncle whoever or with my cousin or with my brother or whatever because this could suddenly get, get, get pretty hairy pretty quickly. But instead, the pre-trib position just even so, come Lord Jesus, at some point we're going to get saved. 
And instead, they're just sitting around, basically saying nothing to see. There's nothing to see. All this, nothing to see here. It's probably just deception of the devil to make people believe the post-trib pre-rapture is what they probably believe. And they're just like, nothing to see. And, and they, it doesn't spur them on at all, does it? Basically, because there hasn't been a secret rapture yet. They're just like, well, until there's a secret rapture. So verse 34 then says, Verily I say unto you, this generation, and basically, generation can mean many different things, but it's just the people of a particular period of time in this context here. And the period of time being basically post-first coming of Christ and pre-second coming of Christ. He said, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So basically, these things will happen. Okay, that's what he said. There's no avoiding them. There's no avoiding these things happening. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, how many anti-mask marches people went on or will go on, or maybe will go on in the future. I mean, who knows what they're going to have us wearing and doing in the future. It doesn't matter because all these things will just happen in the end. Okay, it doesn't matter if you start marching against, you know, the, the, the microchip when it comes. It's not, it's not going to change anything. Okay, he said these things must come to pass. Okay, they will happen. But, but it also means that, that there is also, by the way, these so-called near collision with asteroids. I mean, I wouldn't even take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even bother with a pinch of salt. Yeah, all that stuff is just absolute nonsense. Because all these things must come to pass. So all the scare stories, oh, there's an asteroid hurtling towards Earth. Well, funny that, because this Earth wouldn't even exist without God. I don't think he's going to get scuppered by an asteroid that he created. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That, the, that somehow cows farting, which is honestly what these people believe, are somehow going to change all of this. That while God was kind of working this out and inspiring all of this and, you know, he, he's preaching this to them, the Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he'd just not factored in those farting cows in the, you know, 21st century. Oh, man, if I, you know, he just ruined it all. Ruined it. It, it, it's all nonsense. My diesel van, my diesel van that they charged me a fortune to drive into central London and to park with, and apparently I have to pay environmentally friendly tariffs, are not changing this. It doesn't matter if I get a, if I get a huge, big wheel, super turbo truck like we were talking about Chris Eubank the other week or, or whatever. Else. It doesn't matter. It's not changing any of this. This is all going to happen. Okay? None of that's making any difference. It's a complete sham. It's a lie. And oh, what a surprise. It just means that everyone has to pay more money at the same time because never let a good fake crisis go to waste, right? Okay, however... You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 8.22 says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Do you know that? None of that's going to cease. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the whole church went out and bought diesel vans. It really wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if we all went out and bought diesel vans and then all bought a cow each as well. Okay? Nothing's, none of that's changing. It's nonsense. Okay? Obviously, I, I don't think anybody is going to get pulled into that stuff. He didn't forget to factor in carbon footprints, okay? God didn't forget that stuff. Now, God upholds the earth. You have to turn there. Job 26, 7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing, okay? He hangeth the earth upon nothing. It's God, yeah? If, if God wasn't involved, this would be a pretty scary situation, wouldn't it? Spinning around in space, I would, that would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? But no, it's God that, that controls everything, okay? We don't have to fear any of that. He preserves all of this, it, it, you know. And by the way, just on that, there are no pillars holding up the earth, okay? Yeah, anyway, he preserves all this. And do you know what else he preserves as well? Do you know what else he preserves? Aside from this world, aside from this earth, aside from seed time and harvest and, and, and the weather and the seasons and all of that stuff, do you know what else he pres preserves? His words. He preserves his words. He preserved the Bible. That's why you have a Bible today. That's why you hold the Bible in your hand, because God preserved it. Because there have been a lot of attempts to prevent you having the Bible in your hand. Okay, there have been a lot. In this nation alone, there have been a lot of attempts to prevent the translation of the Bible, to, to just prevent people, the common man having the Bible. Okay, and you know what? It was all in vain because God preserves his word, doesn't he? Verse 35 says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I mean, it's not difficult, is it? 
It, it's, it, we see it time and time again in the Bible. Yet how many people, but we only inspired in the originals. No such thing anymore. So, so why did Jesus Christ said his words shall not pass away? Words, plural, not a general gist of my words. Not, well, you know, just some of my words. No, my words shall not pass away. That means, that means he's preserved his words, right? Forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And it's always interested me that there are so many people out there that claim to believe in Bible inspiration, because they do. These, these, if you ever look on statements, I used to love looking at statements of faith, just because trying to find a church in this nation which didn't believe something weird or, or even believed the gospel, and even believed and even had a King James Bible was hard, hard enough. Sometimes they wouldn't make it clear. So you had to go on their statement of faith, because a lot of the time they wouldn't even have a verse on their, on their websites. You're thinking, okay, let's try and see if we can find what Bible version they use. And then you see, we believe that the Bible is inspired in the originals, in the original manuscript. The original manuscripts are inspired, and then you're like, that'll be a false perversion user and written off church, yeah? But it always, it always amazed me. They believe in Bible inspiration, but not in Bible preservation. Turn back to chapter four. What would be the point? What's the point in inspiring the originals if you don't then preserve the words of God? What a waste of time. Why are you going to do that? Oh, oh well, great. They're inspired to, for people a couple of thousand years ago, but the rest of it, no chance. You can't even get the words. I mean, it's, it's such a nonsense, isn't it? Inspiration without preservation. It, it's basically, it would, be, it would be like the never-ending carrot on a string in front of you. And you could fool a donkey with that. Yeah, you could probably fool a hamster on a wheel with that. But... I, I, well, it seems that you can fool a lot of people as well with this, can't you? But it would be like that, that you're constantly searching for it, you're constantly trying to get it, but you can never actually get it because you never preserved it. But as we know, people here who stand on the Word of God, who stand on the King James Bible, we know that he did preserve his Word, didn't he? He preserved his Word. You, you, Matthew 4, you're in Matthew 4, aren't you? Says this, because we are told to get it, aren't we? Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered, said, it is written, this is Jesus Christ, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So it is actually possible. There is, you know, we, we can live by every word. Otherwise, God was just winding us up here. It's just like a bit of fun. It was, Jesus said, well, you know, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. However, you can't actually get every word. So <laughs> good luck, guys. You know, let's see how you get on with that. Yeah, because, you know, no such, thing is, no such thing is a preserved word of God anymore. Oh, you just got to kind of, you got to let some, some so-called scholars just put it all together and tell you what it says. You got to let them decide. You got to let them just keep changing it. Yeah, they, oh, don't worry, they've dug up something better now. So they're going to tell you that, that it's changed again. Actually, everyone was wrong for 2,000 years. I mean, this is, this is what we're dealing with, isn't it? If we're told to live by every word, and it would make sense that every word is out there, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd think it would make sense that every word of God is out there if we're told to live by every word of God. In fact, especially when he promised, like we just saw in verse 35 of, of Matthew chapter 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So he said to live by every word, and then he also said in the same book of the Bible that his words shall not pass away. Not the general gist, his words, and if his words are different depending on what version you pick up, then they can't all be his words, can they? If, if God's word is different with every single Bible verse you pick up, it, it would stand, you know, to reason that they're not all God's words. So therefore, which one's God's words? <gasps> this is, this is, you know, some people go, well, how would you choose? How would you choose a Bible version, right? And, and obviously the Bible correcting corruptible seed proponent will parrot things like, well, where was the Bible before the King James Bible? They like that one, don't they? So where was the Bible before the King James? You know, like, got you here. I mean, we had a clown come in here from some clown church up the road that came out with a clown statement like that. And, and I mean, all you're doing is you're just saying, I'm a clown. Yeah, I'm a clown. I'm coming out with this nonsense. And, and look, I'm not going to re-preach 
a great documentary that's come out. If anyone hasn't watched it, there's a great documentary called The Preserved Bible. Uh, it's out on YouTube. You could search it. I mean, they've gone into depth with this, really help you understand these, this, this point here. And I think it would, you know, it does strengthen you, doesn't it? It does strengthen you as believers on this because there's a lot of attack on the Word of God. There's been attacks on the Word of God since Genesis chapter 3. See, it's right at the beginning of the Bible. You know, the, the devil said, yea, have God said. Yeah, straight at the beginning. It's what did God really say? It's trying to, trying, to, trying to shake your faith in the word of God. But basically, the preceding major six English Bibles before the King James Bible were all good translations. I mean, the, the, the differences are minimal, really, aren't they? They are minimal when you look at them, and obviously in that documentary they do some good comparisons on it, because they're all translated from the same underlying text, aren't they? Which is the, the Hebrew Masoretic as a whole in the Greek Texas Receptors. And the KJV was perfected, and it's a translation work that has never been repeated. So people that want to question, oh, I just can't work it out. You've got this Bible, which is based on, which is not much different to the preceding Bibles before. They're all using the same manuscripts. That Then you've got this just amazing work with 50 plus of just these great translators all working in a way that there couldn't be just an individual slant on it. They're all double checking and correcting each other's work and all making sure that, they're, and they're all from different backgrounds anyway. They're making sure that what, they, what they're translating is exactly word for word the correct translation, or you're going to believe that, oh, okay, well, no, no, actually, they all had the wrong manuscripts, that we didn't have the Word of God before that, that the, the Greek manuscripts for the New Testament were actually, you know, they were incorrect because there was one buried like a bit of trash somewhere and a couple of others that we just needed to dig up, you know, sort of 1,800 years later. It's, it's nonsense, isn't it? It is nonsense. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 10. And is it a coincidence that this work was done in a language that has become the international language of the world? Anyone think that's a coincidence? Of course it's not. So we have the greatest translation work ever undertaken. Seven years, and, and you can imagine, I mean, just imagine the money that must have gone in just to, to get these guys working on it for seven years. And some of the greatest minds ever, men that spoke 15, 20 languages, fluent in all sorts, and... and what a surprise it was done in a language. Because we've got, oh, what about in other languages? Well, if other languages have got good translations, great. But there's never been a translation work like the King James Bible. And there never, I doubt there ever will be in time to come. And, and, but if that did change in hundreds of years to come, if, look, if the, look, the signs of the times, we don't know for sure when it's going to happen. And if the international language started shifting to something else, unknown Chinese or something else, I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up with... Uh, with what could end up being a perfect Chinese translation. No one's saying that that can't be the case, but right now we have a translation in English, and it was in a time when, when the language English was to go on to become the international language of the world, we have a translation which is perfect. There, there, there is no error in our King James Bible. But it would still be from the historically used manuscripts if there was a Chinese translation, for example, yeah? it still wouldn't be from any of these false joke clown manuscripts, would it? Not, not from those. And, and look, at risk of doing a poor job of trying to prove, prove the preserved word of God, let's just look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, because really this is what it comes down to. Romans 10, 17 says, So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that's really what it comes down to. If you have saving faith, it's because... You heard the word of God. If you're saved, you heard the word of God. Now, you might have heard the word of God in another language if you're not a native English speaker here. But if you're saved, you heard the word of God. Okay? And if you heard the word of God then it, and you got saved, then it would be pretty sensible to carry on listening to and reading the word of God. Right? No one here got saved by the NIV. No one here got saved by the RSV. No one here got saved by any of the, you name it, ESVs. You know, any RSTUVs. It's just, you know, no one got saved by any of this rubbish. They got saved by the King James Bible or they got saved by another Texas Receptus when it comes to New Testament translation, which was probably pretty identical to the King James Bible, right? in another language. No one's getting saved by this junk. 
you put your faith in the word of God and in English it had to be the King James Bible and you go oh well you know people like to come up with this and I go oh well, what about if you heard like maybe it was one of the verses which they hadn't changed you know and I had a person say to me you're saying it's faith plus the King James Version anyone ever heard anyone say that before oh you're adding you're adding the King James Bible to faith no one's saying that it's faith in the word of God that's what it is it's faith in the word of God that gets you cannot get saved without the word of God you have to have had the word of God preach to you. At some point, I said this on, on Sunday. Someone says to you, oh, I just read it and I believe. Nonsense. You're either a liar or you're unsaved. Or probably both. Okay? You got saved because someone preached you the gospel out of the King James Bible or the equivalent in another language. And you're putting your trust, basically, if you think about it, in the written words account of the word that was made flesh. You're ultimately putting your trust, your faith, in the word, aren't you? Yeah, that's what you're putting your faith in. Look at Romans 10, 9. While you're there in Romans 10, and tell me if the NIV says the same thing. The New International Version says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, you might go, well, what's the difference, brother? And I'll tell you what the difference is, yeah? Calling Jesus Lord sounds a lot to me like Lordship Salvation. That sounds to me like you're basically going, well, I, I've said that Jesus is Lord of my life. That's why I'm saved. Not, I confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I confessed him as my saviour. That's a bit different than calling him Lord, right? Yeah, you can see, see how that subtle little difference can make a big difference with salvation, can't it? Turn to John 3.16 and tell me if the NIV says the same thing. John 3.16, the NIV says... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, that's funny because if you're in John, where the John 3.16 in the King James Bible said, but God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a difference there between begotten and one and only because I tell you what, anyone saved here who's a male, is the son of God. So how on earth did he give his one and only son if John 1.12, where well, you in John, says, but as many as received him, to, give, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So if you put your faith in Christ, you became a son of God. So how on earth did God send his one and only son? Because he didn't send me, and he didn't send you. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. It's false. It's false. Turn to John, 1 John 5.7 and tell me if they say the same thing. 1 John, so that's towards the back of your Bibles now. 1 John 5, 7, which says in the NIV, for there are three that testify. And that's it. For there are three that testify. What happened to the rest of it? What happened to, to what the King James Bible says? For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the One, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The NIV says, for there are three that testify. So from there, again, can you really teach who the Lord Jesus Christ is? No. It's for there are three that testify. What does that even mean? And look, we could do this all day long with all of these joke false versions of the Bible, okay? Look, that's just the NIV because it's possibly the, the, the biggest selling false version of the Bible, I think it flits around, I think the scholars like to think the ESV, it sounds a bit posher and a bit more like you're intellectual, it's all a joke. What did you get saved by? And for me, that's good enough, isn't it? Turn to Psalm 12. What did you get saved by? And what you got saved by should be what you carry on reading, because they'll try and con you, oh, it's easier to understand it, it's nonsense. Yeah, it is if you're unsaved. Yeah, if you're unsaved, you're not going to understand the, the Word of God. But it's not easy to understand. My children read the King James Bible and everyone else here, if, look, if you're saved, you want to start reading, I hope you are reading the King James Bible, I'm sure everyone here is. Psalm 12 verse 6 says, Psalm 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words of silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's good enough for me. I hope it's good enough for you. God said he'd preserve his word from this generation forever. If it's not here, where is it? Please, someone tell me where it is. It's here. By the way, the NIV says this in verse 6. 
And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible. Like gold, it just sounds so bad, doesn't it? Like gold refined seven times, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. Something doesn't add up, yeah? One of those is wrong. They can't both be the word of God, can they? One saying that he's going to keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. And one says about the words of God, thou shalt keep them, my Lord, thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. Which, by the way, lines up with many other verses in the Bible, which says, you know, the, you know, that his truth shall endure forever. Like we just saw heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, etc. And one completely changes it. They can't both be the word of God. I know which one I'm choosing, the one that got me saved. Verse 36, back in Matthew 24. I'm going to move on from this point now because I've got a bit to get through. It says this, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, they say, see, no one knows a day and hour. This is what the pre tribbers say. No, but he's just given us a load of signs to look out for. <laughs> okay, so yeah, no, we don't know the day and the hour, but we do know that we, there's some signs we're meant to be looking out for to get a fair idea of when around about that day and hour is going to be, yeah? Verse 33 said, So likewise ye, when sh ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. How is that going to happen with just an out of, out of the blue pre-trib rapture? Impossible. And by the way, he didn't say of that day and hour, will know no man. You could argue, by the way, as well. He says at that point, knoweth no man. Maybe some will be able, will be close at the time. I don't know. But, but you know, we're on that point, you know, there are signs. There's a period of time, I believe, that we're going to know from when the abomination of desolation set up. But will we know exactly when it's set up? Will we know exactly that day and hour that it's set up? Or will we just know, wow, wait a second, we're being told this abomination of desolation is now there. I think that's more likely and we're going to then from there for those of you that are kind of hot on your kind of on your end times prophecies are going to go okay we've got two and a half months it looks like from here but we're not going to know the day and hour are we but we are told to look out for the signs that we're in that period of time right okay <clears throat> but he said to watch in verse 42 as well didn't he what, what are we watching for all of the signs that we've just been told about. Verse 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, that's Noah, by the way, just a Greek version of, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the, into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Could these people have known Noah, by the way? So they didn't, yeah? They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and everything else. But could they have known had they actually wanted to listen to the word of God? Yes, they could. Had they wanted to, they could. Turn to Genesis 6. While you turn to, I'm going to, you're turning to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3.20, which says, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So God was long-suffering. He waited while the ark was being built. What was he waiting for? Genesis chapter 6, you've turned to verse 13. We see when God warns Noah of what was to come. It says in verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. See some sort of waterproofing there. So God warns him of what was to come before commanding him to build the ark. What was Noah doing when he wasn't building? Anyone want to take a guess? Well, you have to turn to 2 Peter 2.5, says this, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching. Noah was a preacher. Noah was, was preaching the truth. Noah was preaching about the wickedness. Noah was preaching many things, I believe. Noah was preaching salvation. He was a preacher of righteousness. But I'm sure he's preaching about what he had just been told before he started making the ark. Now, there's varying kind of opinions on how long it took to make the ark, whether it was 120 years or less. It doesn't really matter. It sure took a long time. You see the size of that thing. And I don't know how many labourers he got involved with that. Maybe he got a load of labourers involved and then they never got on it. But probably his sons, I don't know. But I'm sure it took a long time, right? Before power tools and everything else as well. So for all that time, he's a preacher of righteousness. What's my point? Is it in Matthew 24, if you go back there, is it that they missed the secret rapture? No, that they ignored the warnings and didn't get saved. 
Okay? They, and that's what we're seeing in the future. People are going to ignore the warnings and not get saved. Yeah? Verse 40 then says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour, what hour, not, you've got no idea when this might come, no, not what hour your Lord doth come. Okay, so we've got what could seem like conflicting information, okay? On one, on one hand, if you remember last week, we've been told to flee for our lives, haven't we? Yeah, anyone ever wondered this when you read this? On one hand, we're told, flee for your lives, run, 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 flee, flee, flee. Then here it starts evoking images of the mainstream view of people disappearing at any point when just getting on with things, yeah? <clears throat> Turn to Matthew 10, which for me helps us to understand this. So in Matthew 10, he's sending them out soul winning and he's warning them of the persecution which will continue all the way to the end times, okay? So he's warning that if you're a soul winning Christian, you will, you shall suffer persecution, okay? If you're out and you're preaching the gospel, you're going to get persecuted, okay? Look, loads of Christians don't get much persecution because they don't do anything. They're not doing anything for God. If you're doing things for God, but you should be happy and rejoice, okay? Rejoice if you're worthy to suffer persecution. It's not something that we shy away from. This passage from verse 17, by the way, is almost identical to part of Mark 13's account of the Olivet Discourse, okay? Okay, so Mark 13 being the parallel, one of the two parallel passages to here with Luke 21 to, to Matthew 24. And here in Matthew 10, it just lines up. So he's like a kind of, he's preaching this earlier. Look, some things need preaching regularly, don't they? Some things need preaching more than once, okay? And Jesus Christ preached this more than once, okay? And this is what he says in Matthew 10 and from verse 17. He said, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to the council and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, before we go on with that, obviously we, pre we looked last week, it's not talking about salvation, it's physic physically being saved from what looks like decapitation, other fun ways of killing Christians. We shall be hated of all men for, for my name's sake. And again, back in history, you might have wondered at certain periods. Not in all, look, um, many civilizations have had times where you can see why Christians would be hated. But I tell you what, right now, again, this doesn't look like a great jump, does it? I mean, already, already what we stand for is, as Bible-believing Christians in this church and other similar churches, it does result in people hating you, doesn't it? And what, and what do they do? They call you some sort of hate monger. They, they say that this is hate speech, preaching the word of God. Preaching what the word of God says about sodomy. Preaching what the word of God says about these sorts of vile, disgusting people that are being pushed on us, pushing our kids, pushing our society. And you can see why at the end, which seems to be you know, as far as I'm concerned, coming quicker than we probably would have thought, why we're going to be hated for his name's sake. Even the fact that you just preach that it's, that it's grace through faith alone means that all the ecumenical, oh, there's many different paths to God, oh, well, it's all God, all start to hate you as well. You're hated for daring to preach what the Bible says about hell and to preach what the Bible says about that. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And even that, and really, that's really what it really boils down to. The sodomy stuff and other stuff, they kind of use almost as a scapegoat, really, don't they? Because really, what does it come down to in the gospel? That's what it comes down to. Look at verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Look at that again. Ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. Talk about fleeing from one to the other. We're told to flee for a reason. The fleeing's not just for fun. It's not, well, flee and then you can get decapitated. Flee and then you can get arrested and you can get killed for Christ's sake. Just you can, have a, you can burn off a few calories before that happens. No, we're told to flee because there will even be cities in Israel where Christians will be able to flee to. Yeah? Anyone disagree with that? No, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man become. So you can flee to one city 
and maybe the persecution will ramp up in that city and you'll be able to find another city that you can flee to. So the fleeing in the end times isn't just a bit of fun. The fleeing is because there will be, for me, places of refuge. There will be places, there will be safe... Now, those safe areas might change within that kind of couple of months. Maybe it will be all right for a couple of weeks and maybe you'll be going to another place. But if even in Israel, in Israel, where literally Satan's seat seems to be, that tells me that maybe here and other places in the West, there might be some safe places, yeah? Okay, so, for, so therefore, there will then be, for me, saved and unsaved in those places of refuge. It's not, oh, well, flee here because it's now only like saved believers. There, look, maybe there's going to be, maybe there'll be a combination. Look, you might be fleeing with people that maybe are still trying to blag that they're saved when they're not. Okay, there's going to be lots of different types of people. And, and look, not everyone. Otherwise, by the way, if everyone took the mark, then who are the 144,000 witnesses preaching to? Who are the two witnesses preaching to? Who's, who's there? No, there are still, look, I know the world will wander after the beast and he causeth all both, you know, both poor and great, rich and small. However, look, that says a majority. There are still going to be those. There's going to be, there's going to be those that, that, look, those guys that sit there right now, you know, with their kind of anti-electromagnetic t-shirts on and stuff like I came across one of these guys a while back, yeah? Who's like, you know, sensing all the EM rays everywhere and some of these guys I'd imagine they might avoid the mark yeah they might be fleeing with you okay then then look at verse 40 where we are back in Matthew 24 Matthew 24 verse 40 then shall two be in the field the one shall be taken and the other left two women shall be grinding at the mill the one shall be taken and the other left watch therefore for you know not what hour your lord doth come so that for me kind of explains that Okay, there's going to be people and places where you can go and people are still going to have to, still going to, have to grind at the mill. They're still going to have to do something. They're going to still have to do stuff in the field and everything. And they're going to be those that are saved, you know, when the, when the Lord comes and you flee to a good safe area and there'll be those that aren't saved and are going to be left behind, yeah? He's, okay, he said to watch, verse 42, watch therefore. What are we watching for then? What are we watching for? Are we watching because we might miss the rapture? No. Are we watching because oh, I just didn't quite, you know, the, the, the last bell was going and I didn't quite make it. Oh, I've got to hang around for the wrath now. Might as well take that mark. <laughs> no, we're watching because we want to make sure that our friends and family are saved. That's what I believe. Showing them what's happening and all of that. Showing them what's going on. That's what we're, what we're watching for the signs. So we can, look, this is a time to get people saved. Like, this is a time, like, when you're, when you're at this, this point, People are getting persecuted, Christians are getting killed, all this stuff's going on. It's like, look, I need to preach the gospel, I need to preach it harder, I've got a short amount of time left. Think of how many, and you, you might like, and sometimes we look at this, we think about it from our point of view. You're like, well, of course, you know, what's the, but think about all the backslidden Christians out there. Think about all the just lame Christians. Think about the lame, think about the lame pre-trippers out there that don't even do anything. I mean, what, what, for them, the, or, or just the free gift of run Christians. The many people you get saved, you're like, I know that person, believe, I know they got saved, but they just don't want anything to do with church. They don't really want to, they don't want to live for God. They don't want to, they don't want to continue in his word. But those people, those people, they need to hear this for their family's sake, don't they? They need to hear this for their friend's sake, for those around them. And not to just look back and regret. And also, because they're going to be the ones that get decapitated. Because who's going to be saved? Those that endure until the end. Those that are still soul winning until the point when they're told to flee. And that's why we're looking out and looking out and looking out. And also so we're ready to endure to the end. So we know right now I've got to get out of here. And, and, and there are many, look, mo the vast majority of Christians in this world, saved people, don't have a clue about any of this. They're going to be like sitting ducks. They don't have a clue. No, they're not going to take the mark. But I'll tell you what, they're not going to last very long, are they? He said this, he said, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So those who aren't watching, who haven't heard this sort of preaching, I'm not just talking myself, just people who've just preached the Bible as it is, yeah, preach, preach this clear truth. Those who, well, let's use this one, haven't rightly divided the word of truth. Because they always like to go, they haven't rightly divided. Those that haven't 
really rightly divided the word of truth, are going to get caught out, aren't they? How many pre-tribbers are going to get caught out? All, the, all those pre-tribbers out there are just going to be, sh- they're not going to know what's going on. And you're going, well, what do you mean? Can't, wouldn't they then, at that point, now they quickly, you know, go out and preach the gospel and, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? Well, look, maybe they've been telling all the unsaved, well, well, it's when I vanish. If I vanish, make sure you get saved. Make sure if I suddenly disappear, I can imagine they're saying this stuff, aren't they? Then you've got to make sure that you call in the name of the Lord. You know, or they'll say, and then you've got to make sure you confess that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> that, that, that'll, be, that'll be what's going on, isn't it? And look, turn to Luke 17, because Luke 17 gives us two people during events in history that pictured the rapture and, ga- and then God's wrath afterwards, okay? And we're going to look from Luke chapter 17 and, and see what, what the difference is here, okay? Because this is what it comes down, this is what it boils down to. It's the effect on those around you. Unless you're so hard-hearted that you really don't care about your family, friends and everything else. Look, we care, don't we? Yeah? We care about those around us. We care about those that we've grown up with. We care about those that we're in contact with. We want to get people saved. Luke 17 and verse 26. Luke 17, 26 says this. And as it was in the days of Noe, so, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Noah preached it and preserved his family, including daughters-in-law, didn't he? We saw that Noah ended up on the ark with his wife, with his three sons and their three wives. Yeah? Now look at verse 28. That's one type of person, yeah? Again, that pictures, really, the kind of, the rapture, that's what it's a picture of, and then the wrath of God, yeah? Now look at verse 28. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Okay, now, you're going, wait a second, isn't there the great tribulation? Look, this is the world. The world, even after, even after the beginning of sorrows, even after people getting killed, even after the culture of the world, even after the war and everything else, when this world leader's there and they're like, peace and safety, they're like, this is great, let's start celebrating. Oh, we get a mark, you don't even have to get your credit card out. Yeah, just, just do it with your wrist. Brilliant, yeah? Don't even need a door key, probably. And the rest of it. Oh, well, just experiment on me. That's what people are like, aren't they? Oh, great, new technology. What could go wrong? Science, science, you know, and everything else. So what, what are these people going to do? Well, he, say, he says here, verse 29. Sorry, what does he do, Lot? But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Yeah, that's the God of the Bible. Okay, that's what God thinks of Sodom and the Sodomites that were in Sodom. He rained fire and brimstone on them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Lot ended up losing his sons-in-law, his wife, if you remember, and definitely won't be ruling over all Jesus Christ's goods in the millennium, will he? Okay, so both are saved, aren't they? Okay, both are a picture of being raptured, but what a difference to those that were around them. You've got Noah, where he ends up coming off the ark with his family intact, and then you've got Lot, who ends up with his wife dead, ends up with his sons-in-law dead, ends up with his two daughters, and we, we'll just stop there for those of you that know the story, it, go, it goes downhill from there. Yeah, two very big differences, right? Now, both got raptured, though, theoretically in the picture of the rapture, yeah? Okay, because they're both a picture of saved, well, they are both saved people, and it's a picture of the rapture, etc. Now look back at verse 45 in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 45 says this, Who, who then is a, a 45, sorry, Matthew 24 verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his good. So, look, there are rewards to come in a millennial reign, yeah? Okay, it's not just, it's not just, look, you, oh, well, I just care about people around me. I don't care about the rewards. I don't care. Look, we do. That's why God keeps trying to inspire us with rewards. God keeps trying to, to provoke us unto love and to good works. He wants us to do good things, and he's encouraging us with the promise of rewards if you live for him and do stuff for him. So there are rewards to come, but what about those that don't take heed? Now, 
for me here, this next passage, I believe that these are those that don't get saved. And I'll explain this in a second, okay? And, and um, yeah, let's have a look first. Verse 48 says, But and if that evil servant, evil servant here, shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not... Uh, sorry, that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And obviously that's a, a picture we see of hell and the lake of fire, etc. Now turn to Luke 12, because of course there will be the work salvationists who would claim that this guy lost his salvation. Okay, nonsense, rubbish. That's impossible otherwise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He, they would have been lying when Jesus Christ said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but everlasting life was actually lying. He actually meant whosoever believeth in him and then uh, do, a, do a good study on end times and make sure that you, you, you know, carry on warning people and doing the right things at the end of the world. No, you cannot lose your salvation. So what's he talking about? Now, some will see it as a saved person who's not keeping his eye on the prize, okay? And it's not, and then say, well, maybe it's not talking about hell at the end. And look, uh, you could say that, but the weeping and gnashing of teeth to me sounds pretty hellish to me. Um, for me, the analogy is a Lord and his servants being mankind because he is Lord of all. So sometimes we can look at it and go, well, it's a servant, it must be someone saved. It's an analogy, okay? It's a picture. So it doesn't have to be, oh, right, well, it has to be because they must be a servant of God. Well, it's, just, it's a Lord. And look, ultimately, everyone should be a servant of God. But there are, so, sadly, the vast majority of the world that are evil servants, yeah? They don't do anything. They don't get saved in the first place, let alone serve him, right? So everyone's purpose is to serve God. Most don't. And I believe that this is just someone that doesn't get saved. So in Luke 12, we're going to look at, Jesus is preaching, uh, we're going to look from verse 39, this part of the message, and he says this. So this is another where he's preaching the same thing. And he says, And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broke through. And again, it's talking about the house. And for me, it's just talking about like your family. It's talking about the effect on those around you. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour when he is not aware, will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Then it says, and that servant which knew his Lord's will. So this person here, for me, has heard, knows at least, the gospel, has heard the gospel, has rejected the gospel and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, so this is someone that maybe hasn't just outright rejected the gospel, shall be beaten with few stripes. He's still getting beaten though, isn't he? Still getting, still getting punished, but unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. So those that had the truth presented to them, that have the gospel preached, reject it, they get the worst punishment. And for me, it kind of, I'm thinking reprobates here, thinking people that have ultimately rejected the truth, rejected the gospel, they're even beating the fellow servants. You can kind of think about what's going to be happening in the end times with those with the mark of the beast, with all these wicked reprobates in the various forms of... of whether it's police, army, the rest of it, just, just persecuting Christians. And then, but with that, all sinners are due eternal punishment, but there are levels, aren't there? There are levels, there are depths of hell. There are people that will receive the greater damnation, aren't there? Go back to Matthew 24. So where he said here, but if, Matthew 24 and verse 48, but and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, so he's just got no, no idea of this, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, that shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's Jesus Christ's point? Don't reject him. Get saved, and get those around you saved, because once they're hunting you, 
Look, Mark 13, 12, you know, turn there, says, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. By then, it's, it's probably going to be too late for them. Look, by the time your family are either taking the mark or even before that are just turning against you and just, you know, just, just oh, one of those Christians, one of those sodomite haters, one of those gospel preachers, one of those hate mongers, whatever it is, by then it's probably going to be too late, isn't it? But if we keep our eye on the prize, and we're watching and we're keeping our things and we're seeing what's going on and going on in the world, then maybe you might get to them before it's too late. And you're going, well, look, brother, I've tried to preach to all my family. I've tried to preach to God, but many don't. Look, most Christians don't. Do you think that those people that you got saved over the last few months just went away and just got all their, tried to get all their family saved? Most of them don't even, they don't. Most, so many people are so selfish as well, or whether it's selfishness or whether it's just because they don't even care about God's commandments, whatever it is, they don't go and do that. Maybe because they're embarrassed, maybe because they don't know how to say it, maybe because they haven't been trained how to say it, because they've carried on and gone back to the non-denom church or whatever false church you're at and never got shown how to preach the gospel effectively. Whatever it is, people, if people knew the truth about the end times, we're getting close to the end times, they'd be like, I need to get these people saved because they're going to get literally fire and brimstone rain down them. They're probably going to take the mark of the beast and then they're reprobated, they're done and they're going to go to eternal hell forever. Forever. That, that, the stakes are high, right? Stakes are very high. And, and, and Christians around the world need to understand that we're getting closer and closer and closer and you need to get people saved. And maybe it's not your family. Maybe your family are saved. Maybe it's, maybe it's your neighbour. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's people that you don't want to, on that day of judgment, when you're, you know, you know, well, I'm already, I'm already in heaven, that, that they're just looking up, just, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you just open your mouth and preach the gospel? Why would you not have told me? I thought we got on. I thought we were friends. I thought you liked me. Every time you said, hi, how are you at work and everything else, you didn't even open your mouth and, and preach me the gospel. You didn't even ask me if I wanted to hear the gospel. It's all you need to do. Would you like to know how to be sure you're going to heaven? And, and how many Christians out there, the vast majority of Christians out there, will not even ask someone if they want to hear the gospel? And that's what this is preaching at. That's the signs. That's what we need to be making sure that we're keeping aware of. And that's what it's all, that's what it's all about. It's all about people's salvation. It's all about eternity. Are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? And sadly, most people are going to hell. And that's the lesson from it. We'll turn to John chapter 16. Because, look, all this pre-trib stuff is ridiculous. Okay, 2 Timothy 3.12, where your turn there says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You live godly in Christ Jesus, you're suffering persecution, okay? That, that's a given, okay? There's none of the, oh, God doesn't appoint us to, and then they like to combine it with the wrath. No, 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 no. You will suffer persecution. You will go through tribulation if you're a believer, especially if you live godly in Christ Jesus. It's a given, it's happening, the question is, are you going to watch, be prepared, get people saved, not allow your house to be broken up, get your family saved, make sure your kids are saved, make sure your parents are saved, make sure whoever it is. Are you going to show them the truth of God's word? Are you going to show them, look, these times are coming, look, look, you just got to put your faith in Christ. You're going to show them, you, you know, on some have compassion, make a difference. Others, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And there's going to be a fire on this earth as well. In many places. I mean, is it, is it a third of the earth is going to get burnt up? I mean, look. Some people, some people will respond to the fear of what's happening. Look, look what my Bible says. It's all happening. John 16 verse 33 says this. These things that I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, look, we're going to have tribulation, Okay. It's coming. And we already, many of us have had it in life. We'll continue to have it in life. And we're definitely going to have it if we live to the end times because we are going to go through the tribulation, like it or not. Look, I'll tell you what, the pre-trib position, I mean, that's the easy option, isn't it? Look, if, I, if, if, if you had to choose, <laughs> if you could just pick and choose and you didn't just go on what the word of God says, you would just go, give me the pre-trib all day long. I like the sound of that. I'm just going to vanish any time and be in heaven in glory forever. But however, 
what, what the truth is is what's important to us. Yeah, it might not be popular, but it's true. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. That means be happy. Be happy. I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Yeah, we're going to have some tribulation in this short vapour of a life, but where are we going to be for eternity? Oh, heaven, and with a little jolly jaunt of a thousand years in a millennial reign, which I'm looking forward to that. That I can picture a bit more, I suppose. Heaven, it's, you can't even get your head around, can you? What amazing that's going to be. So we are going to have tribulation, but we win in the end, don't we? Anyone read the last page? You know, you win. Yeah, We all win. You're saved, you win. Yeah, If you're not saved, get saved. Um, on that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for you. just what a great chapter of the Bible. A great chapter which, although for many might be scary, it might, might be daunting thinking about this time to come, whether it's us, our kids, our grandkids, or generations down the line. You know, obviously we, we don't wish these scary times, the hard times upon upon others. But those those of us, and there are many here that have, you know, been been trying to live godly in Christ Jesus, will have already suffered persecution. We've already gone through tribulation. In the world, we will have tribulation. That's whether whether we lived to the end times or whether whether like many 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 generations of Christians before us, we don't live to the end times. We are going to go through tribulation, and many have gone through horrendous tribulation and look we're not special this generation you know now or the next one aren't so special that they're going to be raptured but all the other christians in times past were we all know that we we i think everyone here has a firm grip on end times and what the bible says um, i thank you that you do make it clear i thank you that that with a, a little study a little comparison um and, and with rejecting of just you know that the, the the so-called theologians and all these all these types of people out there and just just an acceptance of what your word says we can be clear on this subject help us to be strong if we do end up getting closer to those times in our lifetimes help the children here to be strong as well help us to just want to keep serving you to endure until the end by preaching your gospel so that you know we can be those that, that look up in the sky and see you coming as lightning from the east to the west and wow what a day that will be lord and we thank you for that. We thank you for all the, all the many blessings that are to come. And um, we, um, we just pray that you help us to all get home safe and sound and to return here on Sunday for another day in your house. In Jesus' name, pray all of this. Amen. Amen.